All right. Welcome to Jetstream Live. Uh, super excited to be here. We're here with Braden Parker, and he's the co-founder and CEO at Casca Designs. Uh, really excited to talk with Braden today about the story of Casca, uh, how he launched this business, and where he's at now. So uh, really great to have you. Thanks so much for being here, Braden. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's an honor. <laughs> awesome. Before we before we jump into the story, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit of, about yourself, uh, your background, and uh, what you've been up to in the last few years. Yeah, so um, my name personally is Brayden, is Brayden, um, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Casca. Um, I would say that I'm a serial entrepreneur, startup person. Um, I started a company when I was in university, along with some other people. We made uh, doors, and we actually figured out how to cut the in cr cross section of the door out uh, with sound attenuators. So you could essentially have a door closed and still have airflow. Um, that company still exists. So that was interesting. interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then when I graduated, I actually worked in real estate. Um, was always fascinated by the idea of sort of, you know, buying or not, not personally, the real estate that we were buying was quite expensive, but essentially going in and being able to like, take an older building and kind of like fix it up and put a cool tenant in and see how that can impact both like the building and also the community by having, you know, just kind of um, giving life into some of these old buildings. So yeah. that was really interesting. And then while I was there, I was also kind of always tinkering on the side with ideas. So um, looked at like a Airbnb of parking and storage, um, living in kits. I have a parking space that I wasn't using at the time. And I was like, how come I can't rent out my parking space when it's this like sunny, beautiful day on Kitts Beach? Um, and then uh, also worked on a cricket-based pasta company and uh, decided that convincing people to eat bugs wasn't really something I was super passionate about. But along at the same time that I was working on that, my co-founder, who's a shoe designer, came to me and said, hey, I have this idea for a perfect everyday shoe. Um, and so... Lo and behold, we started Casca at that point. And then it's been, I guess, three and a half years now. Um, and that's kind of, we can get more in depth into that story because that's certainly been interesting. Yeah, for sure. But before we jump into that, it's really interesting. I mean, I don't consider myself like an ideas person. And it sounds like you've got all these ideas coming at you. Uh, I, I got to ask, what what is, what is the purpose of the airflow of the, the door? What does that do? Yeah, so when it came to the door... Uh, that was essentially uh, for, to solve the problem that you'd get in more commercial buildings and I guess like really big homes where you have some rooms that are very different in temperature. Uh, and so you like a traditional solution would be to have like a grill in the door, um, but you can always hear people on the other side. So it's like, can we make a more beautiful door that you can ensure silence? You can still have privacy, but still have equal room temperatures. Um, and it's kind okay. of better for your indoor air quality and a bunch of other things. Very cool. That's really interesting. You know, I just yeah. love hearing ideas that I've never thought of. A, you know, I never I thought know. Of a problem. Uh, so I love when people discover those sorts of uh, ventures. Yeah, I'm a fan of the stumble into things and then see where it goes. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's talk about Casca. You know, you mentioned that it's an it's an everyday shoe. You know, what what is an everyday shoe, and and what is it that drove you to you know co-found this business? Yeah. So I think, you know, my, it really came down to realizing that being in Vancouver, you have a very, very difficult climate. And at the time I was biking into work every day. Um, I worked in real estate, so I'd be walking through buildings. I would go into the office. I'd meet up with friends after work. I literally had like three pairs of shoes under my desk. 
Um, and after walking through buildings all day, my feet would get tired. Um, and you know, my co-founder Kevin and I were <clears throat> kind of felt like there was this opportunity to make a truly supportive shoe that focused on your foot and how it should like actually biomechanically be supported, um, kind of wrapped in the best materials that you could and designed in a way that it was really, really versatile. Um, and the versatility part was great from a, uh, perspective of it, it's nice to have shoes that you can wear with multiple different things. Um, but also from an environmental perspective, we read a, a report that came out of MIT that looked at shoe manufacturing and a huge part of uh, the carbon waste comes from actual shoe production, not from the end of end of life cycle. So oh, we kind of felt, yeah, so we felt like, okay, well, if we can actually convince, like replace four pairs of shoes in someone's closet and make it last longer. So they're, you know, have a pair of shoes they're not needing to replace every six months. Then that's something that we could, that actually has a better, it's better for the customer and it's better for the planet. Very cool. Yeah. It's really interesting to understand, you know, this and, and how, where that waste truly comes from. But I think about my own myself, you know, I've got several pairs of shoes, whether it's for running or working out or lifting or just wearing to the office or like, you know, dress shoes. And so biking, we can buy biking part, shoes, yeah, biking, yeah, yeah. like cycling shoes, yeah. climbing shoes. I have so many pairs of shoes. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I always make fun of people that have lots of shoes, but then I'm like, I look and I'm like, oh, I have lots of shoes too. And I, I'm, I'm a person that actually notices people's shoes. People always comment on the office because if someone in the office, someone will walk in and they've got new shoes. It's the first thing I know they could have a new haircut, you know, new glasses, yeah. everything else. But I'll uh, notice, oh, new kicks, man. Those are sweet. I'm a yeah. total like shoe junkie and I just stop myself from buying every pair, but I, I love shoes and always have. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's obviously a huge uh, market around that sort of sneaker culture, which is really interesting too. You have like the Nike drops and um, you know, there's, there's that world for sure. Uh, and I'd say we're trying to go after more of the function focused person that doesn't yeah. want to even have to think about what shoes they're putting on. It's like, they know that <laughs> yeah. they, they know they're going to be on their feet all day. They know that they are going to wear what they're going to wear. They want something you can just match with everything and just get out the door and go do your thing. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Um, and so, so you have a physical location. Uh, we what, do. What, what came first, the location or the online store? So the, the online store definitely came first. Our location at that point in time was a, a basement room, uh, my co-founder's parents' basement, uh, selling out of their garage. And, um, you know, as we started to see more traction and as things started to grow, um, we were looking for office space and we just kind of stumbled upon this amazing space that uh, was actually a barbershop. And so it was kind of like we were we were able to put some desks in there and then also open a retail store in an up and coming sort of part of uh, Vancouver and Mount Pleasant. And I'm really glad we did because it's been really, really fascinating to see the omni-channel experience kind of take hold. Um, so we get people that come in because they see our Facebook ads. We get people that buy online because they walk by our store. Um, we, we were really, it was great. We opened it just in time for the pandemic in, in uh, January, 2020. Um, so, you know, the original intent was we'll turn this into a community hub and it's been really exciting to now be able to do that. Um, but even through the pandemic, like it was still great to be able to have people, you know, if they wanted to pick up in store or they wanted to come in and exchange or try a pair, like try a pair and then do it elsewhere. Um, and our, our, our 
in our retail store does really well. So we're definitely looking at doing more pop-ups and some more, more retail in the future. Yeah. Very, very cool. I'm always intrigued by that. Cause I, you know, I've kind of, my whole career has been focused on digital marketing. And so when people talk about to me about like offline marketing or in-store marketing, right. It's just such a, it feels like real world business. It's like, okay, well, what are the, you know, variables? What are the things that we need to worry about and, and get concerned about? Or what are the things that are going to matter and how do we market this? So you mentioned that it's- And how do you build that into the customer experience, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you wanted it to be a community hub. What, is, what does that mean? What does that look like? What, you, what sort of things do so, you do? So, you know, we've always kind of had this idea about um, functionality. And so, you know, if you could turn that into a functional space where you could host events or you could allow other people to use it, maybe you invite other brands in to, to showcase their, their products, um, that sort of thing is kind of how we envisioned it being. Uh, and we're, we're getting back to that, uh, now that things have finally opened, but that was the original intent. Yeah. Very, very cool. Cause we, you know, we talk a lot about online communities, right. Tapping into the community, building community, that sort of stuff. But sometimes it's forgotten that, you know, face-to-face -face is just so valuable meeting with your customers in person and seeing their like emotion and their response to the product yeah. and see how they try them on, and, use them, wear them. And I'd say like, we've even tied that aspect into a lot of our digital marketing. Um, there's a lot that you learn in person that you can't get based on looking yeah. at click-through rates and looking at, you know, testing different copy or different landing pages. Um, so like we, before we would even go and test things uh, through online and digital channels, we would talk, we would test them on customers and see what they'd say. So like custom comfort or custom support, or how do you speak about uh, the leather and durability? So, and, and then you get, you, you know, you have to get really good at just reading body language. Cause a lot of people are also in person a lot nicer and you're not going to necessarily get the comments of people trolling you. Um, so it's been, it's, I would say it's definitely value, a valuable tool when it comes to, to marketing. They, they, they both play off of each other really nicely. Yeah, as an agency, we love to do voice of customer survey. So we'll send out a survey to all of the, the you know current customers and get their feedback in their words, right? And that's one way of doing it. But having that deeper understanding of like really seeing that in the person and seeing them in person, it's so true. You're like people would be so much nicer in person. They don't really troll in person, right? No, Sometimes no, not really. Get... And if they do, they're usually joking. Sometimes yeah, you get right? the, the people that are just like, "Well, okay, like." You should have probably woken up on the other side of the bed this morning, but <laughs> you get people on Facebook that are just mad that there's ads and they're commenting mm -hmm. on your stuff. And it's like, well, you know, you wouldn't do this. If you walk by my store, you wouldn't yeah. be mad that my store exists on your walk. So, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's yeah. A, a big difference. Um, it's interesting. You, you, you spoke earlier about creating traction and like kind of getting this thing going. Can you talk about the, the early days and how you found that and, and what that meant to you when you're like, okay, we have traction. I mean, I'm personally, I think that's something that you're always looking for and always fighting for uh, or trying to like to hit bigger and bigger, like your kind of expectation of traction starts changing as you grow. Um, at the very beginning, we didn't know how people would respond to customizing the inside of a shoe and how to speak about it and which which sort of, uh, you know, what types of customers would actually want it. And so we just went out with a bunch of assumptions and we just like rapidly tested as many different things as we could. Um, landing pages um, different Facebook ad copy, Google copy, um, speaking with customers, kind of just like really focusing in on that. And I'd say something that was really interesting that we learned right away was how you speak about support with footwear. Um, 
it's an interesting world because if you start talking too much about health, people kind of own in on the idea of like orthotics and maybe like right. shoes for an older demographic versus, you know, talking about support in the way of staying on your feet longer and going for like getting more out of your day um, and about like kind of whole body wellness, because that's what your feet do actually do. They support the rest of your body. And so um, learning about kind of what different words to use and how to communicate that is really interesting because um, along with product market fit and speaking to your point about traction, I think you also have this idea of like creative market fit. So even if you're providing a solution for a customer, if you're not actually communicating it in the right way, it doesn't matter. Um, so I would say that was where we had like the biggest learning and where we're continuing to like really focus and own in on. Yeah. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that creative market fit? I, I haven't heard that saying before. I don't know if it's a term. I don't know if it's a term. You might have just coined I, it. <laughs> I'm notorious for just making up theories when it comes to marketing because <laughs> that's really all it is. Um, no. So it, it's it's really just the idea that like, making creative that resonates with your customer. Um, and I mean, you had mentioned earlier interviewing customers and using their own words to speak back to them. To me, that's like, you know, that is creative market fit. You're like matching what they want to hear, um, assuming that your product actually does that. So it's really just, you know, how do you, how do you speak to your customer in the right way that is inspiring to them and that um, lets them know what you're about and ideally lets them join your community and buy product. Yeah, I really, I just really like that that creative market fit. I haven't heard that before, but it makes a lot of sense, right? Because yeah, probably because it does, it's not a real thing, or or I guess it is a real thing, but it's. I think it's a real thing. Way. It's just you know yeah. maybe maybe it has a different name, but you know it makes a lot of sense to me. It's like you have the you have the product and you have the marketing. The thing that resonates with the user, and hopefully connects them to the product is that creative. So it's the creative fit that kind of you know plugs in the connection between the two and says, hey, I'm over here, and this is a product that you want. Uh, I just need to find the right terms and, and video and images and assets to, to, to bring you over to it. Exactly. And oftentimes, like, as you like, that's again, where online and offline can sometimes be different. Um, and that's where I think you have to lean into the testing of different creative and right. Despite how many different things we've, we've tested, I'm always surprised at what customers tend to resonate with, despite me thinking like, this is the photo people are going to love this. And then it's like, never what I think. Yeah. And, and, and I have a hard time. I have to like emotionally detach myself from the creative when I'm like, okay, this is going to be awesome. And then when it doesn't yeah. work, you have to be like, okay, it really didn't work. Uh, I need yeah. to move away from that and find something else. It's also made me like along with creative is copy. And so like, I have so much respect for copywriters Yes, because um, copy is also just so, so hard. It's so easy to come across as being just like markety kind of like gloopity speak versus like actually telling someone what they like they want and communicating to them like a human versus I feel like how marketing has in you know previously been like a little overselling on the copy side yeah for sure for sure and copywriting is is a science and an art right I mean you, you have to do the research to uncover the copy and then you have mm -hmm. to you know, phrase it in a way that resonates with your you know end customer um I'm curious what's what you know, you've mentioned ads and, and copy and stuff. What does the marketing of this look like? You know, organic, social, video, ads, Facebook, Google? Yeah, I mean it's a little bit of everything. I would say what we've been really fortunate to have is a really strong product that underlies all of those things. Mm. And so we've actually seen word of mouth has been one of our biggest channels. And so the more people that we get in the shoes, the more people that come back and buy. So we really lean into referral, email marketing. 
Um, uh, and then kind of, you know, we use Facebook and Google for more top of funnel and I get, I'm obviously retargeting, but I'd say like the majority of the, the long-term advocates that we focused on has come from the product being great, which is awesome, which is obviously awesome. And I think an important part of any business. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, when you think about all the pieces of a successful business, right, you have to think about, you know, you know, good, strong sales supported by marketing marketing supported by a great product. And it certainly makes marketing a lot easier if the product is great. Um, it, you mentioned advocates and referrals, like word of mouth. Is there, do you have a program for that? Like yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we do the, that? we do like a bit of the referral marketing in the sense of um, uh, if you share with three people, we'll give you a discount and like you and your friend a discount or whatever. Um, but we're also working on right now on a membership program that would basically, you know, how can we get those, how can we get people that love our products feedback for future product? Um, and how can we get them testing any new shoes or new product that we're doing to make sure that we're still hitting the mark? Um, we've always found that customers know best. And so just really leaning into that. Um, and I think the marketing is just kind of like the upside that comes out of it. But the bigger upside is that it just helps to, again, I guess going back to what I already just said, but going back to improving the product. Um, so ideally we're using customers to do that. Mm -hmm. We have some exciting stuff yeah. in the pipeline. So I, that I, I, I will not speak about yet. But we'll have to do it. We'll do a we'll do a follow up in uh, a couple months, and then it'll make yeah, we'll more do, sense. <laughs> we'll have to do a recap and, and break down you know some of those yeah. exciting uh, announcements. Um, can you talk a little bit about brand and and the Casca brand and and what that means and what that brings to the company and the company's growth? Yeah, so I think the brand is the important part of um, customers unconsciously, at least, or and ideally consciously, understanding what that brand is about. Um, and so always kind of focusing on like, why does that company actually exist on a deeper level than just the product? Um, and I think that's something that continues to evolve as you're a startup and as you really uncover why you're there. So we originally started because we wanted to support people's feet and allow them to go and do anything that they wanted. And as we started to, you know, continue growing, we found that we're actually really about this idea of kind of like wellness and um the the daily pursuit of like being well um and so it's kind of evolved a little bit but it's still um for us at least centered around the idea of like unlock your everyday um be supported in all that you do and like don't worry about what's on your feet um so communicating that through all of your different photos videos copy um, I think that's how you really translate the brand side in um, versus like, you know, I would say the, some of the other products that are very, this, like the slap chop, like this slap chop will sla like cut whatever you want. And so you can buy someone, you can buy a hundred different ones. It's like a very clear problem solution. Um, to me, the brand is really what turns that product into something more uh, and continues to grow as you as your brand and product continues growing man i haven't heard the slap chop mentioned in a long time i was that thinking was... i was trying to think about like the easiest product that just like came to mind that was like you know a gadget a gizmo an yeah. as seen on tv that the brand ne isn't necessarily that important i guess you could actually argue that slap chop has a good brand given that that's the first thing came to my head <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting that, that that did pop in. Uh, but I think about the the brand is like 
you know, it's, it's part of the experience. It's like the emotional response. Like when I wear my cascas, I feel this way. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, wellness and support and, you know, sort of not having to think about wearing, you know, what shoes am I wearing? Cause it's just, they're my everyday shoes. I'm always wearing them, right. Which regardless of what I'm doing. Um, I'm curious what the, the name Casca, what, does, does that have a meaning? Where does that come from? Yeah. So Casca actually is a play on the Pacific Northwest and on the Cascadia uh-huh. bioregion, the Cascade mountain range. Um, so it was just kind of a bit of a, an, an homage to where we are and where we came up with the idea. Um, that that's, yeah, I mean, that's honestly all it is. And then we, we were able to negotiate and, and buy the domain name for a relatively small amount at the time we were still in the basement and it was the first time that we had spent any money on anything. We hadn't even developed the product yet. <laughs> and, uh, we negotiated the price. I think it was like $2,000 for like a five letter domain name. So we were pretty happy about it, but then yeah. we had to go through escrow and it was this guy from, uh, I think it, I can't remember somewhere in Europe that had owned it forever. And we went through escrow, our money left, but we didn't actually have the domain name yet. And so we thought that we had blown it. We were like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> like we can't even buy a domain name through escrow. How are we going to freaking design shoes? Uh, but then it turned out like three or four days later that the registrar moved it over to GoDaddy and it was all fine. <laughs> oh, it's funny. It's yeah. funny how you, you you worry about all those things, right? In in, in the early days. Oh um, yeah. You, you talked about developing, you know, the shoes. You know, where where does that knowledge come from, and and what is it about the shoes? I I think a lot about like Casper mattresses, and and part of Casper was like, hey, this thing just shows up at your doorstep, right? Like you avoid all of the hassle of going in and dealing with the sleazy, you know, furniture salesman. Um, but there's also a lot of like engineering. I didn't realize I watched a video on it. There's a lot of engineering that goes into making a Casper uh, mattress. Can you talk about the engineering and design and, and you know, re- really makes your shoe different than others out there? Yeah. So shoe manufacturing is really interesting. It's definitely an art and a science. Um, all shoes fit differently. Everyone complains about shoes fitting differently. The reason they all fit differently is because they're all different materials will impact it different uh lasts which is like the shoe shape impacts it shoes are definitely very complex um you compare it to apparel where like you know you have small medium large it's a little bit easier it drapes over your body but with footwear like you're hitting you're you're continuing to you know it's it's pretty hard but all this being said a lot of the fundamentals are still the same and so my co-founder uh he came from the shoe world he was a designer for native shoes uh, he worked in Copenhagen for Norse projects, worked on some collaborations with Adidas, uh, New Balance fans. So he really had the the deep expertise and knowledge. Um, and then you work with your manufacturer or you're like with, a, a for us, we work with an agency that does specific shoe development, which has a team. Because um, if you, like there's 14 different materials that go into a pair of shoe on average. Wow. Like you have the laces, the upper, the lining material, the outsole. Um, the insole, the material on the insole, there's, it's crazy. So essentially you've, you know, you've got groups of people and then it's, it's really just from there it's, it's design. And then for us, what we did differently um, before we even started doing the design and development, we worked with a orthotic lab to figure out how do you actually support the foot? Um, Like biomechanically, how does the, the foot actually move and how should you be supporting the foot? So we were kind of inspired by, you know, like Birkenstock, 
Mm-hmm. Um, they've done a good job of really supporting the foot. Uh, and most shoe companies aren't looking at that. Most of them are really looking at the design, the materials. Um, and then they're really, a lot of them, a lot of them, I would argue that Nike and Adidas are just amazing uh, marketing and design companies, mm-hmm. not necessarily like true development. They'd probably argue against me, but um, so, you know, I think all that being said, it really just came down to like, figuring it out, getting shoes, testing them. um, And then having that sort of like foundational knowledge from the foot health side helped make sure that we were doing things properly. Yeah, very cool. There's a lot involved. I mean, you mentioned 14 materials. I never thought about that at all, right? Like what it takes to like- It's crazy. (laughs) And to make shoes is hard. Like a lot of it is very, very difficult. Um, And then people complain if the, you know- shoes are more than like $60 and you're like, do you know what had to happen to get this made? Like you have <laughs> yeah. no idea. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of, of, of that, you know, I'm sure there were some challenges. Uh, can you share some of the, the tough moments, uh, you know, in, in Casca's story? Oh my gosh. So many, um, COVID like, I think that was probably one of the more interesting ones. Um, I thought that we were going to be in a situation where we wouldn't even be able to deliver mail. Like, I remember thinking, like, reading articles Mm -hmm. saying, like, we're all going to be stuck inside for, like, a long time. And so, like, kind of having a, you know, and, like, we're a startup. We needed to conserve cash. So it was like, okay, what do we have to do? What are we going to do? Trying to figure it out. Thinking we're going to have to shut the company down, basically. And then all of a sudden, our sales started going up and up and up and up and up and up. And to the point that we had, uh, like, we ran out of shoes in, like, two months. So we were growing like 160, 200% a month, ran out of shoes in a couple months and then had to figure out, okay, wait, now how do we actually get more shoes? Because we like, <laughs> then you had to deal with the supply chain in China where we, we manufactured. And so um, it was just really, you know, you kind of, we, we had to swing from one side to the other and you're trying to like get yeah. product back and forth and customers are mad and, you know, that whole thing. So that was probably the most interesting. And then that also like taught us a lot at the same time about how do you, um, how do you get onto what's called a negative cash conversion cycle so that you can finance your inventory without needing to, you know, fundraise or, or get money every time you need to grow. Um, so that led us to renegotiating with suppliers and, uh, you know, trying to figure out how you could extend your terms on your, on your inventory so you can get cash back from customers from selling the shoes before you actually owe it to your uh, suppliers. Interesting. So all of this being said, it ended up being great in the long run because we wouldn't have known about that had that not happened. And it would have been something we would have continued to, to hit, mm-hmm. um, hit a wall against. So, you know, through some of those crappy lessons come, uh, come some of the, the better lessons. Yeah. And I find that's like, almost always the way as, as an entrepreneur, right? Like if we didn't run into this massive problem, we wouldn't have figured out this thing over here that allows us to do this and it actually created scale or growth or stability in, in our business. So I, I love hearing that sort of stuff. That's why I ask about challenges. And pers- me personally, I always try to look at them as like, okay, it's a challenge. And I know that's a challenge and it feels like a challenge, but it's actually an opportunity of some sort, whether it's you know Facebook iOS changes or you know, regulation changes or something to do with products or manufacturing, any of that stuff. It's like, okay, if you can try to flip it to like, where's the opportunity, it helps. It helps me anyway. No, I completely agree. And I oftentimes try to think like, hey, it's just a setback. 
like, okay, this is a setback. How are like, it's going to maybe slow us down from getting where we want to, but there's always a solution. Uh, yeah. It's just figuring out what that solution is and, and just continuing to march forward despite everything else. I think there's like a small, a very thin line between entrepreneurs, between naivety and genius. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 I tend to say like, you know, I don't want to get like my MBA. I don't want to get that kind of smart because that way I'll overanalyze and say, mm, it looks oh, yeah. like it's not going to work. And then you just mm -hmm. don't do it. Versus if you remain a little bit naive, a little bit, you know, dumb to all the challenges, you're like, I think it might work. Not really yeah. realizing how hard it's going to be. <laughs> I know. And then you look I back and you're like, way. oh my gosh, if I knew what I know now, I never would have done this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's the part that makes it fun. I mean, that's the, the journey, right? I like doing hard things sometimes. Um, but, you know, you, you can go to analysts and, you know, talk to, you know, people, you know, in the finance world and they'll look at, oh, the numbers don't work. You shouldn't do it. Like, yeah. yeah, but what if I tried, you know, yeah. what I learned. The numbers never work until they do. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. <laughs> yeah. um, speaking, speaking of numbers, and you mentioned funding, uh, can you talk about uh, how you raised money to, to get this thing started or where that where those funds? Came yeah. From? Yeah. So we, we went. Um, it was my first time fundraising. Um, I went to, I, I, I'm the type of person that just rightly or wrongly just jumps in, um, and is, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of like the, it's better to try and, and see what happens and not try. So, um, I literally had no meetings planned. Uh, well, I had two meetings set up when I was in New York, I flew to New York, LA, San Francisco, um, got out of Vancouver and started setting up meetings. And then once I set up a couple meetings, other people started hearing about what we were doing and then I got more meetings. And so by the time it was all done, we had, you know, 30 meetings. Um, and we were able to fundraise from a group in Silicon Valley called Coastal Ventures that was excited about what we were doing. And, you know, with the 3D printing side, it kind of gave us an interesting edge um, to differentiate ourselves from the massive number of other shoe companies. And yeah, I mean, that was basically it. It's like keeping in mind that I probably talked to like 300 people to get there. Mm -hmm. So it took a long time and it took a lot of work and I never, fundraising is one of those things that I think you just have to learn by doing. Uh, and honestly, it's a marketing exercise. It's an exercise in, and, and sales, marketing and sales. A lot of it is like, how do you, you're, you're selling a piece of your company for cash is essentially the, the thing. Um, and so, and then part of the sales side is just, it's a numbers game. You have to talk to as many people as you can in order to make sure you're getting a good deal and you want to get competing term sheets. And um, yeah, I mean, I could go on forever about fundraising. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And I think what would be interesting is if you could share just sort of what those meetings were like, because I think, you know, we see a lot of, you know, here in Canada, Dragon's Den or in the US, Shark Tank, you know, or, or what's in movies or like pitch competitions. And I honestly, I mean, I have, I've raised a little bit of money, but not a, not a lot, but I, I kind of hate all of that. You know, I don't like watching Shark Tank. I don't like, no, I know. Think, it's oh, you so gotta go out and like, you'll pull out your pitch deck to talk to someone. Can yeah. you talk about what that actually was like to raise money or what that felt like and looked like? I mean, a lot of it is, is really, so, I mean, it's interesting. I've done fundraise through the pandemic and I fundraised before the pandemic. Um, before the pandemic is a little different and it gets a little more different with the pandemic because now you can have video calls so easily. Um, right. So when I raised our last round, it was through the pandemic and it was actually, it was hard. It was different. 
but it was in some sense easier because you're just you're able to go through meetings so quick. Um, but I would say, it, it, honestly, it's just in my and everyone has their own different ways of pitching. Um, but for me, it's just a conversation. And part of it is also me trying like you're trying to think through is this person the right fit for us? Because um, it needs to be both sides. And it's never like what you see in Dragon's Den in terms of like, you know, like they just they they people aren't like that in real life um and it's typically just a conversation and you just need to see like is there an opportunity here is like this is what we're building this is where we're going um things are moving pretty quick and so like i need to know if you're in or you're if you're interested in continuing this conversation because we're talking to a few other people and then that's kind of the the typical way that it goes you get a lot of questions and and it's never also just like one conversation and done. Like it's very rare, like never actually a one and done. It's like, hey, let me introduce myself and share with you what we're doing. And then for us, it's like, we want you to try the product because we need to make sure that you're on board with what we're building. Um, and so it, it, it honestly is more just a dialogue. It's it's definitely not a dragon stand shark tank. Here's the deal type of situation. Yeah. And they always ask so, such like stingers or zingers of questions of like, you know, exactly this and tell me all about it. And it's like, if you don't answer yeah. it correctly, then they're out. And I just no, like yeah. No, because typically someone won't waste their time with a meeting. So like first you have to right. send them a pitch deck to even get to the meeting. Right. So it's kind of like, you know, for and I would say that's actually the, the most important part that a lot of people I think um, don't necessarily do the best is like having a really strong pitch deck because that's your marketing materials to get the meeting. Um, and oftentimes pitch decks are like people put their entire business plan into one when a lot of investors don't have a ton of time. No. They just need to see a quick snapshot and then it'll be like, does this fit into the way that I think about the world? Yes or no. And then if yes, meeting, if no, no meeting. Um, no one's reading the third paragraph on your seventh slide right. that talks about your X certified supply chain manufacturer in X city. Like they'd probably only read the headlines, which I think is actually the biggest mistake people make is like, from a real estate on a slide perspective, um, the headline is your most is your best real estate, and people will still just put like the problem, the solution, right, right, right. the team instead of like whatever. Like seventy percent of people wear unsupportive footwear. Like that's a lot more compelling than saying the problem. Well, like you said, this this, this is marketing, right? And so as you're talking about that, like the purpose of the, you know email is to get the open to get them to click to read the the pitch deck the purpose of the pitch deck is to get them to book the call the purpose of the call is to have another call the purpose of that exactly. call is to you got to keep moving them right? down the funnel this is yeah exactly this is exactly what we're doing in marketing and, and advertising and i'm so glad you pointed out this the point of the headline i mean the headline is like everything yeah you know, it's crazy what is it? like 100 percent of people see the image 80 yeah. percent see the headline and then it's like 20 percent read the content yeah, yeah and all, really if it low. says the problem, you're like, oh. So that's like the number one feedback. I, I would say like, I've, I have had, by the way, I did that when I started. I've had so much help from other founders. And so I, and naturally I'm also, like, founders help founders. I'm super, anyone that is listening to this, I'm very happy to help with anything I can. Um, awesome. But the first thing that I always, like probably 80 to 90% of people send me a deck and like it had that, it's like the headline is just the title. It's like the problem. Yeah, but, that, I mean that's that's great advice right there, and uh, and I appreciate you sharing that. 
I was I was going to ask you about the the future of of Casca as we kind of wrap up here. I don't know if there's anything you can share. If we should just push that. Yeah. No. Up. No. No. You know, I can definitely share. So we're we're in the middle of doing a big rebrand. Uh, we uh, we just listened. Honestly, we listened to our customers and and that what we heard was that the like leaning into some of the support side was was stronger for it was what they cared about and also what resonated with us. And so we felt like the old brand they, what we what we currently have if people are watching this in April of 2022 uh, is a little bit more on like the fashion side. And I think a little bit less clear on the, the like wellness benefit that we have. And so we're in the middle of doing this big rebrand. We've sort of tweaked some parts of the shoe um, and the, the we'll be launching in hopefully July, June, July, some, some really exciting new things. Awesome. Awesome. So more to come. Definitely stay tuned. Um, yeah, Brayden, I really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, your insights and your story uh, of Casca and excited to see uh, where you guys can take this. Um, where, where can, where can people, you know, check out Casca or maybe follow you on uh, the social? Yeah, channel? thanks. Yeah. So people can follow us. Our website's www.cascacasca.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, which is Casca Designs. Um, and I have Twitter, which is at Bradenverse. Um, I'm not as active on there as I probably should be. Um, <laughs> but you can also just add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, uh, Braden, B-R-A-D-E-N at Casca.com. Awesome. Th thanks so much. This has been great. And I uh, look forward to chatting with you uh, really soon. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. This has been super fun. All right. Bye for now.